You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. So it's clearly not biking weather outside, right? Because it's 17 degrees. But how many of you enjoy riding your bicycle? All right. Now keep your hand up and don't lie to me. Jesus is watching. Keep your hand up if you wear a helmet. That's more of a percentage than I was expecting. See, I was raised by my parents. And my dad, for the longest time, was a safety guy at Alcoa. So I was raised with safety in mind. Helmets, you saw my headlight, my tail light, I've got my gloves. I like my gear because my gear makes me feel safe, right? And that's the idea of a helmet. Why do we wear a helmet whenever we ride our bikes? Why do we wear a helmet whenever we climb, go rock climbing? Why do we wear a helmet when we're on a construction site? We wear a helmet because it gives us protection. It guards our heads, right? It's, it's for safety reasons that we wear a helmet. Doesn't it also kind of give you like a, a peace of mind and an assurance? You're able to kind of stand firm in what you're doing. You're able, I'm able to ride my bike so much harder and more aggressively and faster because I know if I do fall, I've got, as they call it in the city, because I like riding in the city, they call it a brain bucket. The first time I ever rode in the city without a helmet, this dude was like, yeah, man, cool wheels, man, but you need a brain bucket. I'm like, what? He's like, you need a brain bucket. I was like, I'll just keep them right in here. He's like, but you need a bucket. I was like, oh, a helmet. I'll get me a helmet. So I've got a helmet. And I love wearing this helmet. I literally do not get on, even for that short of ride, I genuinely was scared that I would fall and hurt myself. So I wore my helmet. But it's important that we wear a helmet. And how cool would it be if we had a, a way of thinking that was almost like wearing a helmet? A way of thinking that gave us a protection, a way of thinking that gave us guarding, that gave us that assurance to stand firm in our life and to walk with that extra just confidence in what we're doing. So what does it look like? We're in this series called Imagine Fixing Our Mind's Eye. So what kind of thinking helps us to fix our mind's eye? Last week, Pastor David helped us to celebrate the 10th anniversary of this campus of Riverside. And we did a lot of looking back and reflecting and seeing all the awesome work that God has done and celebrating his faithfulness um, through our obedience and following through with his command and call on our life and for this church. And then we looked at today and then we we looked into the future and we had this moment where we're like, imagine what it could be because we're not done yet. God's not done yet. He's not done using us to build this kingdom. So keep thinking, keep thinking forward, like fix your mind's eye on his work and what he's doing. But how do we do that now in the day to day? In, in, in the, the grind of, of the daily work day, the school day, all, all the stuff we have going on in our lives, how do we have this stand firm thinking? And that's kind of the package we're going to look at today. So what is stand firm thinking? So we're going to turn to God's word. We've been in Philippians 4. Um, if you are joining us by podcast, um, you can turn in your Bible. And all of you, there is a paper Bible. There should be some in the rows. Or you can use your Riverside Community Church app to connect to our live events. But we are in Philippians 4. And last week we looked at verses 4 
through 7, that we will rejoice in God always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So there it is right there. Paul's intention here was to help them figure out how to guard their minds And he says it right there. That little preposition at the end is what's the key in Christ Jesus. That's the only guarding of our minds that's possible. What's really awesome is that Paul starts off this little exhortation at the end of his letter to the church in Philippi with kind of one big thought, and those thoughts are a bit of an unpacking underneath of that. He tells them in Philippians 4 verse 1, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. And that's just a side note. Anytime you read Paul's letters to his church, it is so evident how much he cares for them. He refers to them as those who he loves and longs for, his joy and his crown. So he is writing this from a place of love. He's writing this from a place of care and concern. And like, he's there with them. He's like, man, you guys are... You're my joy. You're my crown. Like, I love you guys so much. And he tells them to stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So stand firm is his command. And if you read any of his other letters to the Ephesians, to the Galatians, Colossians, um, Corinthians, you will see consistently stand firm is something he is always reminding them to do. Like, I want you guys to stand. I need you to be able to stand. Jesus and God and the kingdom need you to stand, and you need the Holy Spirit to stand. It was always about standing. So we're going to jump a little bit ahead to verse 8, picking up where we left off last week. Keep, keep in mind, stand firm. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So there, he gives us a laundry list of how to, to qualify our thoughts. If it's any of these things, think about it, dwell on it, reflect on it, focus on it. So in saying that, he's also kind of articulating the opposite. So if things are false, or dishonorable, or wrong, or unjust, impure, horrible, or shameful. That's stinking thinking. Don't do that. So you guys pulled out of the offering buckets today a little piece of paper that has two columns. There should be enough pencils throughout the row, or if you have your own writing utensil, I legitimately want you to write responses. Don't put your name on it. On the left-hand side with the stinking thinking, we're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of stinking thinking. We let our minds drift very easily to thoughts that we know are not glorifying to God, so jot down some, some key words that make you think of those different types of thoughts that you're having. Maybe you have false thoughts. And some false thoughts that come to mind for me are, maybe for the ladies, it's, I'm, I'm not beautiful. You convince yourself and you think this thought, I'm not beautiful. I, I, I'm not pretty. I'm not good enough. So maybe you write down a thought like that, something you struggle with there. Maybe, maybe it's, God doesn't have a purpose for me. I don't have any gifts. I'm not good at anything. I, I don't have a, a, a will here. I don't have a calling here. I've, I, I've got, I've got no, no stake in this game. What about dishonorable thoughts? And th- these are all words that I came up with just as antonyms to what he is telling us to think. So the opposite of noble, things that are dishonorable, things that are not glorifying to God. What thoughts run through your mind that are not honorable to him, not glorifying to him? Maybe as a student, you're thinking about cheating on a test. 
Maybe as, a, as a, an employee at your job, you try and find ways to cut corners, and those are dishonorable thoughts. They're not glorifying to God. So maybe you want to write that down. What about wrong or unjust? I think it's we want to hold the gavel. We want to be the ones that make the decisions, and we want justice on our terms. And maybe you had a moment recently where you can think of where you were like, man, this, this is what that person deserves. Or that this is what that person should get for how they've treated me or how they've treated that person. So maybe that's a thought where you're trying to be judge, jury, and executioner for that person. You want to write that down. What about just horrible thoughts? Just negative, stinking thinking that you were just worried all the time. You're stuck in your anxieties and you can tell that your thoughts are just changing the way that you live because you're focused on these anxieties where Paul is telling us, dude, take those to Christ. Take them to God. With thanksgiving, take all of them. Don't be anxious. But maybe you have those, those thoughts. Not maybe, we all do. What about shameful thoughts? Impure, I skipped impure. So write down some of the stinking thinking that you're guilty of. Put it down, some key words there. But before we dwell too much on that, because that's not the point of today, there is that column to the right that I also want us to fill in. And maybe you can do that throughout the rest of the sermon time or, or during the response time. But what's really awesome I know it's cheesy, but you know those little what would Jesus do bracelets that were popular like 15 years ago? I can't help but want to put my thoughts through the filter of what would Jesus think? Like what would he think? When you're stuck in that situation where someone has wronged somebody else, how would Jesus think about them? How would he respond to them in his mind? If we're fixing our mind's eye on God, we're fixing our mind's eye on Jesus, that's our yearly theme is to fix our eyes on Jesus. What would he be thinking? So stand firm thinking is focused on Jesus. And what I realized very quickly when looking at this, Jesus is the full, perfect embodiment of all of these thoughts. Jesus is true. The Gospel of John will say that he came, the light for all mankind, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is true. Jesus is noble. He's a king. He is our king. He left his throne, he gave us his crown of gold, and he took our crown of thorns, but he is noble. He is worthy, he is honorable. He is right. God is the only one who has the perfect understanding of justice and the ability to perfectly administer that justice. We have a good and just God. So he is right. He is pure. Jesus came and during his life on this earth, he faced the same temptations that we face every day and he did not sin once. He lived a complete and total pure life. So Jesus is pure. Jesus is lovely. Our God is love. He is the full definition of love. When Jesus came down on that cross, that was the perfect picture of our God and the love that he has for us. So he is lovely. Jesus is lovely. If you think about him, you will have lovely thoughts. He is admirable. Jesus was a gracious servant, falling on his knees, throwing the serving towel over his arm and washing the feet of his disciples, touching those that were untouchable, loving those that were unlovable. So Jesus is admirable. He is excellent. He's excellent. That's what I think when I hear that word, like actually being used in a serious context. But man, God gave us his best. He did not hold anything back. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesians and he said, he said, hey, Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. Every single one. He didn't hold back a single one. Every one that's available is yours because of Jesus. So he is excellent and he is praiseworthy. So our stand firm thinking is focused and it starts with Jesus. 
What's really cool about looking at Paul's writing through the New Testament and comparing his letters is he, he had, like I said, there was a lot of overlap. Stand firm was an overarching theme. And I can't help but think when I hear the idea of stand firm and I think of Paul writing that, to go to the letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 6, when he says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Man, he was so focused on this standing thing. And why? Why is he saying here it's so important to stand? He says, guys, I want you to be aware there is a battle happening. You are living in a war zone. So if, if you're not ready to stand, if you're not equipped with God's mighty power, you're facing a battle, a war zone that you can't even see with your human eyes. This is all invisible. And the thought there is that stand firm thinking requires awareness of the devil's schemes. The reason we need to have this type of thinking, the reason we need to turn away from the stinking thinking is because that is one of the main ploys of the enemy. One of the first ways he's going to try and infiltrate your life is to go inside of your thoughts and convince you that you're not beautiful, to convince you that you don't have a purpose, to convince you that you're not good enough, to convince you that you have the right to judge and to make uh, you know, to, to administer justice to other people that have wronged you or other people. The enemy is going to be the one giving you those thoughts. And man, is he pleased whenever we latch on to them and whenever we live in those thoughts and let them rule us. But if we stand firm, aware of the danger, aware of the enemy's schemes, we can kind of have that protection. We can have that assurance. We can stand firm in our thoughts in our life. The only reason I put on a helmet when I ride my bike is because I'm aware that there is a danger. If there was no possibility of me falling, if the ground was not hard, potentially causing harm to my head, if cars weren't zipping past me with me possibly getting hit, I wouldn't wear a helmet. It's because I'm aware that there's the possibility of me being harmed that I wear the helmet. So why are we not doing this with our thinking? Why are we not aware that the enemy has this desire to devour our thoughts and control our lives through our mind? Man, if I'm aware of that, I want to do something about it. I want to be proactive. So stand firm thinking requires that awareness. So that was uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. And Paul would unpack in there the armor of God. And you can read through that in your own time. But I want to get to the very, one of the last pieces of armor that he discusses. He says to stand firm. And then in verse 17, he says, with the helmet of salvation. Stand firm with the helmet of salvation. He had gone through the belt and the chest plate and the boots. Like he had all this awesome armor stuff. He said, hey guys, but don't forget the helmet of salvation. Which is a really cool idea that he, in the text, makes it into a helmet. A protective item. You wear a helmet and the, the helmets that were around at that time were often had a combination of different metals and leather and they would come down for the Roman soldiers and they would cover the cheeks a little bit and, and they were there and they could withstand a pretty good strike of an enemy's sword or an enemy's weapon. Um, so they were aware that there was an attack, that there were arrows coming, that there were swords being swung, so they put on a helmet to protect their heads. And it's the helmet of salvation, which if you're new today, if you're a guest I should have welcomed you sooner, but I'm so glad that you're here. <laughs> really, I am. 
But the helmet of salvation, salvation is kind of a churchy word. It's a word we might use in-house more than in your daily lingo or language. You might not be saying the word salvation at your job a whole lot. But the idea of salvation in, in its most basic form is that God created everything and he created us. He created mankind. In that creation, he had a perfect will for us, but he also gave us the, the opportunity to choose and this is where we go back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve had the original sin, the first sin that we have inherited through them. So these two people sinned, Adam sinned, and so because of that, we have a sinful nature. But God had a, a fix for that. He had, a, he had a cure for that, and that was Jesus. He sent Jesus to fix that and to set our minds back, to set our lives back, to take the punishment that we deserved he got up on the cross. He died. This is what we celebrated over Easter. We celebrated that not that he died. We celebrated that he rose again from the grave, gave us new life. And when we accept that, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that is our salvation. So when we wear the helmet of our salvation, we are putting on our helmet. We're clicking the little buckle at the bottom. We're saying, I am saved by his grace. I am saved through Jesus. There's nothing I've done to save me now or ever. It is all through Jesus. So I put on that helmet and I think about that. I dwell on that. I focus on those thoughts about who Jesus is and all that he's done for me. So stand firm thinking starts with accepting your salvation. It starts with that acceptance. And if you're not there yet and you're still exploring, I'm not going to pressure you. But I want you to ask questions. I want you to dig in. I want you to keep coming back and exploring and asking questions. I want you to find safe people in your life that you can turn to, to dig a little bit deeper. Dig into the Word of God. We have a living, breathing God that has a Holy Spirit that is residing in us that we can ask Him questions. We can ask Him for help. If we read something in Scripture and don't understand it, we can talk to Him and He will respond. It's amazing. So our stand firm thinking starts with accepting our salvation. So wear your salvation in Christ like a helmet to protect you against the enemy's schemes and attacks. So Paul had listed all those thoughts to have, the true, the noble, the right, the pure, the lovely. At the end of that, he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. He's telling the church, say, hey guys, everything you've received from me, everything you've seen in me and in my life, everything you've heard me say, you've received through my instruction and my teachings and in this letter, put it into practice. So that begs the question, like, what all did they learn? What all did they learn from Paul? When he says this, what does this actually mean? I just kind of went through Philippians and sniped a few big thoughts that I thought were important that this church was receiving and other people that they would pass this letter around and for us today. One of the things he said to put into practice is to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So let's be united as one church. Let's put away our differences. We've got Christ, and that is the only thing we need to have in common to function in unity. So he's saying conduct yourselves in that manner. Be like-minded, united in spirit, and with the same love. Have the same love. Be united in that. He says to have the same mindset of, of Christ, who lowered himself and made himself like a servant. And then he went and suffered that death, and now he's seated on the throne with God. We, we can think about that. And we can have that same mindset. He says to rejoice in the Lord. And he even says, his words are, it begs repeating as a safeguard to you. I keep repeating rejoice because you need this. You need this like armor. We need to rejoice and celebrate and praise. Like David was saying earlier, like, man, we have a reason to sing. We need to wear that like armor in our lives. Desire to know Christ above all else. He said for me to live as Christ and to die as gain because I'll be with my Jesus. 
So I want to strive. I want to press on and stretch to take hold of what Jesus, that which Jesus took hold of me for. He's got a purpose, and I want to reach and strive and, and run towards that. Forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. Paul led with his teachings, with his letters, with his relationships. But most of all, he led a life that was an example, and that was the biggest teaching lesson that he could have given them. He writes a little further back in his letter in chapter 3, verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. Just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. He's saying our minds are focused on something so much bigger. Our mind's eye is fixed on Jesus. As we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Who are the Pauls in your life? Do you have a Paul, someone you can look to their example and follow their example to help keep your eyes focused, to imagine and keep your mind's eye fixed? Because stand firm thinking is influenced by godly leaders. If you do not have safe people in your life that you can pour out all of your stinking thinking to and they can reach over and help you readjust your helmet and tighten the strap a little bit tighter, we need those people. Here at Riverside Community Church, we are so passionate about the model of, that, that Jesus started of discipleship, of one-on-one, -on -one, that we have a program, not a program, we have a, a vehicle for this called Follow. So we have these little booklets here up front. In your app, you can sign up for that if you've never had one-on-one -on -one meeting with another follower of Christ who maybe has been doing it a little bit longer than you, and they can help walk through it with you. These people are not perfect. They're not holier. They're not angels. Nothing, nothing weird going on here. This is regular people who have given their lives to Jesus and want to help you do the same thing. So you can pick one of these up at some point um, throughout this morning, or you can sign up in the app, or just talk to any of the pastors you see around in this room. But stand firm thing is influenced by godly leaders. So find someone. If you don't have someone, find someone that can lead you in that way. And you can follow their example. And in doing so, you are following Christ's example because that is a Christ-like person. So why? What is, what, is, what is the big part of this? He says to think these awesome thoughts. He says to, to follow my example. And he ends that thought by saying, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. And it's really cool that a few scriptures earlier, he was saying that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. So we've got the peace of God, and we have the God of peace with us when we focus our minds, when we focus our thoughts on him, when we wear our salvation like a helmet. Stand firm thinking keeps you in his presence. And what a comfort that is to know that we have a God that never leaves us, never forsakes us, never forgets about us. He is always, always with you. And when you're focused on that, you're more aware of that. It keeps me on the road when I'm biking. If I lost my helmet, I'd set down my bike and I'd start walking on the sidewalk. But I can stay on the road when I've got my helmet on. I'm comforted to know that he's always with me. Now, when I ride my bike and I'm on the trail, I'm in the city, I'm on the roads, and I see other people riding without helmets, I might judge them a little bit. But it's not from a posture of like, man, those, those sinners... They're stupid. I'm thinking like, man, I'm, I'm worried for them. These cars are going fast. They don't care about the bikers on the road, which side note, be careful when riding around bicyclists on the road. 
They belong there. They're allowed there, I promise. But man, I'm scared for them. I'm worried. I'm, I'm concerned they might get hurt because they're not protected. And so whenever we live with our minds focused, when we've got our mind's eye focused on Jesus, we've got stand firm thinking as our anthem, and we know people and we see people walking around without that helmet, we shouldn't be judging them. We should be feeling for them. We should be thinking like, man, I, I want to go give them my helmet. I want to go show them why I'm able to ride with such confidence, why I'm able to climb so much higher, how I can build this whole building here on the work site with my construction helmet on. I can stand here confident, standing tall, standing firm because I've got Jesus and I feel for them. I want to do something about this. We should be compelled with a sense of urgency to show them why we have this confidence, why we have this assurance and this hope. So the big thought today, this morning, is to let stand firm thinking compel you to motivated moving. Paul was a motivated mover. When Jesus knocked him off his horse and pointed out how he was living a little bit, he he had misinterpreted the call from God on his life a little bit. When he readjusted his focus and he put on his helmet of salvation and Paul got a second chance, he was a motivated mover. There was no storm, no imprisonment, no interaction with the, the, govern, the government or the different councils that were trying to convict him and, and judge him and, um, you know, put him in prison for things. There was nothing that was stopping him. He was a motivated mover. He had the cause of Christ to go and strain towards what was ahead. So we need to let our stand firm thinking compel us to action. This is not just about sitting in our living rooms and thinking good thoughts. How many of you wear a helmet when you're watching TV? If you do, don't raise your hand. You'll be very embarrassed. (laughs) Nobody, right? We don't wear a helmet when we're sitting on our couch. We don't wear a helmet at dinner. No, you wear a helmet when you're doing something. So the idea is we put on the helmet to go out and work, to go out and do something, not to earn God's love. The salvation was put on first. So there's a very clear order of operations. We put on the helmet of salvation because Jesus did the work, and then we go and do in response because we love him and we feel motivated to go and do something. This is about letting Jesus change and transform you, his Holy Spirit to equip and empower you, and to use you to partner in building his kingdom. So the question today is, how can you be a stand-firm thinker and a motivated mover? What needs to change in your life? What do you need to sacrifice? What priorities or plans that you have do you maybe need to set aside and, and see what God's got planned for you once you put your helmet on? What's even better than putting your own helmet on is helping someone else put theirs on. So during this imagine theme, and today thinking about being a motivated mover, that there's, there's a poem um, that I just love. I've read this poem to the Nexus students before. Uh, it was first shared with me when I was doing follow with Pastor Donnie Marsh. Um, he read this poem to me and shared how impactful it was to him. It's called, I Stand at the Door by Sam Shoemaker. Um, Sam Shoemaker was the one who created the 12-step program, uh, and he spent a good time of his ministry here in Pittsburgh. He also um, spearheaded a project to get corporate Pittsburgh connected to the gospel. Um, But I'm going to read this poem, and I want us to use our imaginations. So everybody, you can close your eyes. Nobody peeking. This isn't like an elementary school classroom. Everybody close your eyes. I'm going to read this poem, and he is so descriptive through this poem. And I want you to picture what he's saying here. He says, I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. 
There is no use my going away inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is the only wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door. Yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing that any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind and groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to the man's own touch. Men die outside the door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. They die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. Go in, great saints, go all the way in. Go way down into the cavernous cellars and way up into the spacious attics. It is a vast, roomy house, this house where God is. Go into the deepest of hidden casements of withdrawal, of silence, of of sainthood. Some must inhibit those inner rooms and know the depths and heights of God and call outside to the rest of us of how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in. Sometimes venture in a little farther, but my place seems to be closer to the opening, so I stand by the door. There's another reason why I stand there. Some people get partway in and become afraid, lest God and his zeal of his house devour them, for God is so very great and he asks all of us. And these people feel a cosmic claustrophobia and want to get out. Let me out, they cry. And the people way inside only terrify them more. Somebody must be by the door to tell them that they are spoiled. For the old life they have seen too much. One taste of God and nothing but God will do anymore. Somebody must be watching for the frightened. Who seek to sneak out just where they came in. To tell them how much better it is inside. The people too far in do not see how near these people are to leaving. Preoccupied with the wonder of it all. Somebody must watch for those who have entered the door but would like to run away. So for them too, I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay too long and forget the people outside the door. But as for me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but not so far from men as to not hear them and remember that they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them, millions of them, but more important for me, one of them, two of them, 10 of them whose hands I am intended to put on the latch so I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. You guys can open your eyes. Did you see that door? Did you see the importance of that door and the call that we have wearing our helmet to guard that door and not to protect it, to point people towards it? We can't open it for them. We just need to help put their hand on the latch. So what I'm going to do in a moment, I'm going to pray. And that piece of paper is divided in half for a reason. 
I want you to do two things after I pray. I want you to rip that paper in half and the stinking thinking part, I would love to see this carpet filled with all of that because I want to surrender our stinking thinking. I want to bring our negative thoughts to the altar and say, God, this is not helping me to follow your will. This is not helping me in my day today. I want you to take these thoughts from me. And then the good thinking, the what would Jesus thinking, the stand firm thinking, I want you to write down on the back of that the name of someone you know who doesn't have the helmet. Someone riding their bike, someone on the construction site, someone climbing a mountain, and they don't have the necessary protection. You want to help them. You want to show them where that door is because we're called to do that. Write down their name, put that in your pocket, and take that with you. Think about that person this week. And then strap on your helmet and go do something. Be a motivated mover. So I'm going to pray, and that's one way we can respond today. There will also be prayer partners in the front of the room if you desire to pray with somebody today. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that we have access to this helmet of salvation, that we have this stand firm thinking to fix our mind's eye on you, the only one who is totally and completely true and noble and praiseworthy and excellent and pure and just. All of those things, admirable, those are all you, Jesus. I pray that you would help us, that your Holy Spirit would help us to release these negative thoughts that we struggle with, that we would surrender them to you at your altar today. We would lay them down and pray over them and ask God, take these negative thoughts away. Help me to put on the helmet of salvation and then help me to move in response to all that you've done. I pray for those in this room that need your strength, that suffer and have, have a more difficult struggle with negative thinking. God, I pray that you would bring the Pauls in their life closer to them, that they would have godly people around them to encourage them, to help hold them up, to put their helmet on for them when they can't bear to do it on their own. God, we need each other. And Paul prayed for unity amongst the church. I pray that we would have unity in this church today. Jesus, we thank you that we have this salvation, that we can protect our mind and our thoughts by focusing on you. And in response to that, we can be motivated movers, living, straining, stretching, running, sprinting towards your will for our lives. God, I pray for the people that we're thinking about right now that don't have helmets, the people in our families, at our jobs, at our school, in our neighborhood, in our friend circles that don't have the helmet. They don't have stand firm thinking. They're walking around unaware of the dangers around them. God, I pray for them. I pray that they would have an open mind and open ears, open hearts to receive the message that you have entrusted to us to carry to them. God, help us to be faithful to that message. We give you this morning, we give you our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.